0: Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark
1: Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. First up, ASH Framework 2.0 has been released. After 15 release candidates, we finally have a 2.0. ASH Framework is a declarative resource-oriented application development framework for Elixir. A resource can model anything like a database table or an external API, or even some custom code. Ash provides a rich and extensive set of tools for interacting with and building on top of these resources. By modeling your application as a set of resources, other tools know exactly how to use them, allowing for extensions like Ash GraphQL, Ash, JSON API, and other top tier APIs with minimal configuration.
0: Yeah, ASH Framework is an impressive piece of engineering that Zach Daniel has been working on for a long time. And stay tuned for an upcoming episode where we'll go deeper on that topic with Zach. Next up, EXCLDR is a library that we talked about with Kip Cole in episode 120. And this is about personalization and localization resources. So there's a CLDR, Common Locale Data Repository. And Kip has done a lot of work in making that accessible to Elixir applications. During our interview, Kip mentioned the idea of formatting names according to cultural information available, like if it's supposed to be last name first, like family name first, or based on different cultures. And recently, CLDR 42 was released in October 2022. And with it comes data for how formatting of names should be done, like the schemas defined for the rules for how to do that. And Kip laid out his plans for future development of EXCLDR, and he is targeting a release by the end of 2022 that includes person name formatting in the Elixir code. So we linked to his Elixir forum post where he outlines this particular feature and some farther future looking enhancements as well.
2: Yeah, I actually found it on Twitter. I'm, I'm enjoying Kip being on Twitter because he's, <laughs> he's, a, he's a funny guy. <laughs> So getting to hear some of those stories through Twitter is a pretty good little break in my day. <laughs> Speaking of XLDR, there's also a new CLDR library to help you localize your Phoenix routes. Maybe just plug, but I think it's Phoenix. In your router, this library gives you a new localize scope that will generate those locale-specific routes. So you can imagine something like the base of your route could be slash EN for English. It could also have a territory tag on there, so it could be like British English if you wanted to. And then slash you know pages slash my page ID. This library will help generate those things. And you can customize those too. It's not hard-coded to be that exact format. Thought that was interesting. So CLDR is like the go-to localization ecosystem for Elixir. So now that there is also a router helper here, feel like that would be a good library to bring into if you have other languages that your your site is translated into and you want to be able to provide routes for that. It's not 1.0 yet, so I'm sure that there's still breaking changes to come, but still really interesting to look at and really helpful as well. I think there's a couple of other libraries like this on Hex. I think Phoenix Localized Routes is actually the name of, uh, of another one. This isn't the only option. There's other options out there, but interesting to check
1: out. Now, if you've heard of Elixir LS, you've surely heard of the problem where you can't continue due to errors on dependencies. Well, after more than four years, thanks to a contribution by Lucas Samson, that has finally been fixed. Someone by the name of Sebastian documented a reliable reproduction step so that they could finally pinpoint and fix that problem. So we just wanted to throw out a reminder there that contributions don't always have to be writing code. In this case, figuring out how to reliably reproduce the problem led to the maintainers being able to fix it. So thanks to Sebastian and Lucas for their work. And next up, a short Nerves progress update from Frank Hunlith.
0: To quote Frank, he says, "Due to interest in building ARM Arch 64 Linux machines, we've been removing hard-coded x86 and 64 instructions when building platform-specific parts of Nerves. The next release will be possible to do any level of dev with Nerves on Apple Silicon without the x86 64 emulation." So I just thought that was pretty cool. As ARM architecture has been more and more pervasive, especially due to Apple's silicon, being able to do native nerves on that sounds really interesting.
2: All right, next up, uh, SpawnFest competition is over and the judging has begun. So we've got a link to the SpawnFest website and also a GitHub link to search all the repos that were submitted. Again, these are under the, the SpawnFest org. So I think typically the way these work is that those those will end up getting archived so they, they don't proceed to get changes. And if the uh, project continues to be developed, it'll be somewhere else. So we've got a link to some of those SpawnFest ones, but these links might end up moving somewhere else eventually. There's a couple of cool ones that we wanted to highlight. So Michal Muscala created JSON.native, which is an extension to JSON. He uses a technique that he calls sprinkles of NIFs to improve performance. So when you say sprinkles of NIFs, you have to wave your hands and your fingers around, right? (laughs) Sprinkles of NIFs to improve performance. And it makes encoding JSON about one and a half to eight times faster. That's quite a spread. But faster is, is the key word there. So that's pretty cool. You know, it's useful for heavy JSON processing, right? It could make a big difference. It's in C, I think. So there are C extensions. That's kind of how NIFs work, right? Another project is Livebook Ecto extensions. Uh, the project is called Lively. I thought this was really interesting cuz I'm doing a lot of Ecto and Livebook stuff right now. But Lively adds entity relationship diagrams so you can visualize what your tables look like with Ecto. That's cool. You can visualize explains. That's like that's key. That's that's pretty cool. So if you run an explain, you know, analyze my query, usually you get this big blob of text and you have to like decipher what that means. This visualizes that. Explain now, which is pretty cool. Uh, here's another one that that was just like mind blowing me. Building Ecto queries from straight up SQL. We're used to like building Ecto queries that get translated to SQL. This goes the other way around. This goes from a SQL string to an Ecto query, which is that's just insane. How do, how are they doing that? So that looks really cool. I'm very excited about that one. And there's a lot more SpawnFest projects that I'm sure that we'll uncover as the judging proceeds, right? We don't know the winners yet. It looks like, just from what I can tell, there's a lot of cool ones already. So I'm very excited. So tune in next episode or the ones after that, and we'll keep you informed on what um, what came out of SpawnFest.
0: Because Livebook was a sponsor... I think we'll see a number of possible improvements to Livebook, Lively being one of those examples. And I think that's just an, an awesome example of making it more friendly for education, like being able to teach people about entity relationship diagrams and building that off of your Elixir code. Very cool. I'm, I'm excited to see all the stuff that comes out.
1: Very cool stuff. And last up, ElixirConf EU 2023 is going to be in Lisbon, Portugal. It looks like it'll be a hybrid conference in April 20th through the 21st in-person and virtual. We'll drop a link in the show notes if you're interested.
0: And that's it for the news. This episode is brought to you by fly.io. You know, LiveView has been a game changer for how we build interactive web applications. When you deploy your application physically closer to your users, the experience is even better. That's what fly.io lets you do. Easily deploy your apps around the world like people do with CDNs. What's more, Elixir and Fly.io feel like they were made for each other. It's so easy to set up clustered applications across data centers. Fly.io has over 20 regions around the world ready for your app. The secure WireGuard network means you can securely do cross-region PubSub with Phoenix. So many things become possible now that were just so hard before. Check out Fly.io for your next Elixir app. Today we're being joined by our special guest Holden Olet. Holden, welcome to the show.
3: Hey, thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, Holden, we saw you give a presentation at ElixirConf. David and I were there and we were really enjoyed it and we were like, wow, this is awesome. We have to have Holden on to talk about what you're doing. And it's not just what you alone are doing, but your team and what you're doing with your your company is supporting and sponsoring this effort. So, this is all about secure coding in Elixir using LiveBook to build out ways that we can do the training for our teams inside the company, because all of us are have we've I'm sure if you've ever been in a company that cares anything about security, like any kind of certifications then they have to have secure coding practices and certifications and that everyone's gone through this test and you've done those tests. And I I know I have, and they're super dumb and lame. And you guys said, yes, we have the same requirements. We're going to actually make it helpful, make it usable. And we're going to go bigger than that and make it available to the community. So I'm really excited for this. This is going to be great. But before we jump into all of that, I'd love to hear more about you. Like, where do you
3: live and what kind of work are you doing? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a security engineer. I'm based out of Portland, Oregon. I've been working at Podium for the past three years now, but I've been in information security for about six or seven years, filling various roles, kind of jumping all over the map, getting experience in all the different subfields. As it turns out, there's a lot. Podium is as a business that provides a communication and payments platform to serve local businesses so they can better communicate with their customers. We care a lot about security at Podium, since our customers tend to be local businesses, mon and pa, tire shops, jewelry stores, that kind of thing, rather than enterprise customers that have their own dedicated security teams. And as such, we need to be the security for you know their operating system, essentially. That makes sense, because I
0: know one of the things that Podium is doing, and please correct my elevator pitch, is it's helping... Those small mom and pop shops get online and have customer engagement in the online avenue that is appropriate for their type of business, be that a Yelp thing or a Google reviews or something like that. Is that right?
3: Absolutely. It's re- reviews. That's definitely where we started kind of our bread and butter. And then we we moved into additionally doing communications via text. And through that, you know, payments requests can be made through text. Almost every interaction from the start of the kind of the interaction funnel to the end with reviews is something that Podium provides. And so there's a lot of aspects that we need to kind of dive in and make sure we're we're securing and building secure software from the get-go. Nice. And I assume Podium is using Elixir, right? We are. Yeah, we, we made the switch over from Ruby ooh, about four four or five years ago now. And we haven't looked back. It's been great. So you said you've been in the security
0: space for a long time. How did you end up coming to Elixir? Where did that fit in?
3: Mainly, it was a, a byproduct of coming to Podium, and it's been fantastic. Uh, one of the things I did work in previously was GraphQL, just in my own time. And moving over to the Podium was my first exposure to Elixir code, and it's been great. The, the switch from kind of object-oriented, more of a background I have experience in Java and C, C++, was definitely a shift, but it's it's been fantastic.
2: Oddly enough, your background with GraphQL, that's the like one of the only modules that's not done yet here. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to chat about that too. Primarily, we have a little bit of a different secret sauce way that we're doing stuff. And so I had to kind of scrub it before making it public. And I didn't quite get to that. A lot of this has been working in my free time. And basically, we actually did just released our plug for GraphQL, disabling like introspection. And so I'd like to put out the module referencing that initially and just be like, hey, like this is what we use to disable introspection. That's one of the areas that, you know, you can go towards securing it, and everything. Cool. Sorry, I didn't mean to to, <laughs> to
2: prod at you about that. I just thought that was interesting. I think I remember you saying that at your talk as well. That's all new stuff to me. Securing GraphQL, I've, I've literally never used GraphQL. So this
0: that would all be... I would have to take this course. (laughs) One of the fun things is Cade and I had an opportunity to work together. And we worked at this company where there were certifications required because we dealt with a lot of private data because it was doing background checks and that kind of thing. And what was funny is that the primary language for the company, the largest team and everything in their history was really Java. And our small team used Elixir. Because they had to have these pass-fail security tests for their certifications, we would get these tests... And they were really written for the Java people. And so there was all about, you know, specific questions about hibernate and what version of this code is right. And it's like, I have no idea how to answer this. Like, it's just, it's not relevant. And then a lot of the other stuff is the traditional super annoying, like don't pick up USB sticks in the parking lot and stick them in your computer. You know, all that kind of fun stuff. A lot of us have probably seen those kinds of things. Yes, maybe it needs to be said, but it's not really helpful for people who are writing code. And so for the people writing code, it's really helpful if it's actually applicable to the code that you're writing. And that was one of the things I saw with this company where we were seeing Java code that was great for the rest of their team, but it made no sense for what we were doing. Yeah, so I'm excited about this solution that you guys are working on that makes it so we can do this type of education and training around Elixir. So where's a good point to, to jump in here? I think it might be helpful to talk about what OWASP is
3: and the OWASP Top 10, because I think that's something that's covered a lot in these things. Like, what is this? So the OWASP Top 10, to start, is is a pretty standardized list of some of the most common and critical risks to web applications. And uh, it, it kind of gets updated, not on a yearly basis, but uh, every few years to stay relevant. And um, things kind of shuffle around, and a few, few ones get introduced. And uh, the most recent one was in 2021. What's interesting is you always have these things like SQL injection and
0: that is very common flaws. And whenever I'm looking at this whole list of things like uh, insecure deserialization, cross site scripting, I'm always wondering, well, how applicable is that to Elixir? You know, we have Ecto and if I'm using Ecto and not compiling and building up my own SQL strings, is that a problem for me? It's like, I think that's where
3: this kind of a resource is helpful just to really put in the context of Elixir and our tools, our libraries. OWASP in general is an amazing resource, and I still think it's a foundational part of how we tackle web security. And honestly, that's how it's part of how I got my start in security, as well as just learning and consuming the resources available there. There's a ton of training materials, but it's pretty generalized, right? And and as it should be, the guidance given there isn't Elixir specific, um, and they have to take a more general approach. Sometimes they reference Java, sometimes it's uh, .NET, which, okay. So I I think that there was really space for Elixir-specific guidance, and that's where I kind of came at this.
2: Yeah, I can think of one example is uh, with Ecto. You know, yes, yes, the the community has typically gathered around a a couple of libraries, right? There's not like a ton of them out there that are really mature, and those libraries have been pretty tried and true at at this point, battle-tested. But you can still, you know, introduce insecurities like in the fragment m- macro for for Ecto. You can interpolate in there. I can't remember where a warning might pop up. A warning might pop up some, somewhere, especially if you're using uh, Sobelo, which does some static uh, scanning of your code. So it will look for that. But if you're not using Sobelo, maybe there is no warning. I can't remember. But that is going to be an insecurity. And that should definitely be, that's definitely like applicable to, to the Elixir folks. But I don't want to skip over too much or too quickly about, Physical security too, and I know that's not kind of that's not uh, the the point of the OASP thing here. But I've literally met people who would literally pick up a jump drive in a parking lot and plug it into their their computer. (laughs) Like I know I wouldn't, but you know uh, everyone's at different stages of their life, and like curiosity might kill the cat here. (laughs) And just like what is on this jump drive, and even more legitimate places too, like just picking it up from a conference or something like that, like some some. You know, some sales uh, fellow gave you a jump drive. They, did, they didn't They did know that it had been spiked, right?
1: Like if we're being honest, I would pick it up and I would plug it in too, except <laughs> yeah. I'd plug it into like a spare laptop or a VM or something. Yeah.
0: I'd plug it into David's computer. <laughs> I'll plug <laughs> it into David's computer when he's looking away. <laughs>
1: I get the implications, but I would still do it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, physical
2: security is still important. Perhaps, I, I don't think it's in, the, in your guide right now, but perhaps there, there could be a, a module that, 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 that does go over some of that boring you know stuff. We've seen it a thousand times. It's not so boring. Some folks actually do need to hear that because it'll be their first time hearing it. It's just been our hundredth time hearing it. <laughs> All right. So going back, going back to OWASP, like, what else is in OWASP that's really helpful? What do you, what do you cover in, in your guide?
3: So I think that you know there are many elements in the OS top ten that um, I think require maybe closer examination, and other ones that you know are good to be aware about, but not 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 focus too much on them. You know, um, as you mentioned, Ecto is already uh, pretty strong by default, but it's good to be aware that it's possible. Right, somebody who's coming in as their first developer job, you know, in in Elixir even may not be aware that you know Ecto has these assurances to an extent so they just don't even know and and so we want to kind of make people aware but not over index on that type of vulnerability if it's not going to be an issue every single day and so some of the things we you know we kind of look at are, are some of the more high level issues so you know insecure by by design that's that was new for the OWASP top 10 in 2021 so just generally like building something from the get-go that could be used for abuse or vulnerable in the more traditional sense.
0: So I think we need to be a little bit more clear about what it is that you guys have created. I think we might have teased around it a little too much. Go ahead and and explain what it is that you guys have put together.
3: So we created an Elixir Live book that we've titled the Elixir Secure Coding Training. And the idea is it's a set of modules, each focusing on a different security topic that has interactive examples for engineers to take at their own speed and get immediate feedback as to whether or not they're passing or failing. Our hope is to make a more hands-on learning experience so engineers have the power to better their security knowledge in a more fluid way.
0: So you mentioned that Livebook is being used for this. How did you choose to say, yeah, we're going to try and put this, all this information and everything into Livebook?
3: I was really inspired by a computer science class that I took in college. Uh, We use Python Jupyter notebooks as our entire assignment. Uh, that was it was the instruction was given via it it had some examples you run it see how it works and then a section down below where you fill it out and the professor to make things easier on himself because he didn't have a ta would have a grader for it and that that's really what i thought about as soon as i saw elixir live books i i just i thought it was the coolest thing i was like ah and I, I think I think it's a fair comparison is just like immediately went to Jupiter. I was like, ah, this is this for Elixir. And I, and I immediately thought about that. And i had been recently thinking about how can we make training more engaging? We have some internal jokes just about, you know, the more the slideshow type trainings. And we're like, how do we how do we make this better? I'm, I'm a big believer of hands on learning. I grew up, you know, doing security capture the flag events where they require you to be hands on and learn technical skills in the security fields. And so I was like, how do we give this experience to everyone else?
2: What are security capture the flag scenarios?
3: Those can range very wildly, I'd say. But generally speaking, there's a certain technical challenge. And maybe you're given a hint or two of what kind of category the challenge is in, whether it's reverse engineering, forensics, exploitation, programming, web application, security risks and the goal is to find a particular string of text usually represented in a pretty standard way and that is the flag and you redeem it for points and you know there's usually dozens of challenges in a particular event and you try and get as many or more than than everyone else so you said you grew up doing these capture the
1: flag exercises how does that how does someone grow up into playing capture the flag <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah i think when you know, you first start to get into security, you're kind of sold on this vision of being a elite hacker, right? And this is the closest I feel like you can get because originally, and I mean, it, to an extent, it still is advertised as this way of of practicing those skills in a very safe and and confined way without you know poning some some poor company's infrastructure uh, with an, with a very clear objective in mind. That's how I got really my start in security is doing these kinds of events and working collaboratively with other people who maybe had a little bit more knowledge than I did and had been around for a little bit. And so I kind of work with them, learn a little bit. The Security Capture the Flag events were kind of my primary resource for getting into security in the first place.
2: All right. So just reframing now, uh, now that we have a little bit of more background here. So OWASP is, uh, I'm going to guess, focused on web applications. And security obviously goes outside of that as well. So this live book course that you've helped create obviously is going to cover OWASP because there's a lot of web applications out there. But there's actually more that you're covering, too. What are some of the other things that you're covering?
3: We use OWASP as a framing device since I think that a lot of the other modules that we cover can kind of fall into one of the top ten in some regard. And so we introduced the whole course by going over OWASP top 10 and some examples. And then we start to dive into either higher level web application security risks, or even lecture-specific risks. So some of those things include cookie, HTTP, cookie security, we we'll go over GraphQL security, since we use GraphQL at Podium, that's something we focused on. Um, additionally, the Erlang Ecosystem Foundation has already done a wonderful job outlining some of the high-level risks and uh, to the language itself, um, such as atom exhaustion or uh, timing attacks. And so, our whole idea is we want to introduce whether it's a general or specific idea in the in the module. We want to introduce it in the context of Elixir, right? We want to give examples and have folks kind of build things out themselves. Because whether you're a experienced Elixir engineer or you're brand new to Elixir, we wanted to make it approachable for everyone to be able to build in Elixir mechanisms that protect against these vulnerabilities.
2: It's really nice. Yeah. I was look, looking at uh, some of the bcrypt information in there and that's, that's just, it's really good. You also have a section on CI and CD. I'm sure you can talk about how important that is, but I, I know that's important to me because, well, five, 10 years ago, CI, CD, wasn't exactly common practice. It was really starting to ramp up though. And you had a lot of services pop up. As those services are popping up, the standards, right, uh, are trying to be figured out, like, what's what's normal, what's safe to do? And there were several security instances where secrets were revealed in a CI and CD pipeline. That's incredibly important to to remember. You know, we we stick a lot of secrets in into these platforms, and we need to make sure that we're not printing out our entire environment into yeah, all of our environment variables and such, uh, which typically have secrets in them. To just uh, some log that get that that's accessible by anybody or somebody that does just the right thing. So props to you on on including the CI/CD module in there because that's that's another very common aspect of getting an application up and running, whether they're web oriented or not.
3: Yeah, the CI/CD kind of pipeline is definitely one of those steps to shifting left. Right, this mentality of moving further and further left into the development lifecycle to inject kind of risk mitigation techniques. Uh, earlier rather than later. I think the later it is, the the more money it costs, and or I guess more resources it can cost, right? Whether it's money or time. And the CI/CD step is something you have to be very very careful about, right? We we can't slow down developer time to deploy, right? No one's gonna be happy about that. And folks are just gonna, whether they mean to or not, just try and they want to get their code out, right? And I, I get it. And so we want a fine balance of what people can get through while also mitigating risks. So some of the, that section specifically talks a little bit about, you mentioned Sobelo. Uh, that's a tool that we use in the, in the pipeline to scan. And if it has a finding, uh, a high-confidence finding, I should say, you know, maybe it blocks. Maybe it, it prevents people from, from pushing out code. And it gives you why, right? Hey, there's an issue on this line. You should fix it. And if you need any help, reach out to the security team. But even that, it can be a little slow. We're starting to work with R2C, the company behind SimGrep. And recently they released Elixir support in experimental status. And so we've been working really closely with them to kind of move it into the beta status and eventually to, to GA. That should hopefully unlock new ways to detect security vulnerabilities from a static application security testing perspective. And SimGrep is it's very awesome, very worth checking out. What's really nice is it can be integrated into a developer's IDE using the same rule sets that run in the CI/CD pipeline. And so, you know, if they get a warning early on that they're violating something, it's going to be blocked in the, in the pipeline. But if it, they're passing locally, they won't have any problem when they deploy.
2: G- give me two sentences on what semgrep is for folks that haven't heard of it.
3: I believe it's, it's semantic grep. Essentially, it's, it's, you can create very digestible YAML rules that work agnostic of language. It, it breaks down everything into an abstract syntax tree. That it understands of all languages that it understands. I think it's up to 25 or 30 different languages that it can read now. It can apply a set of rules, whether across multiple languages or language specific to try and detect bad patterns.
2: All right. And so they're targeting what I'm hearing come about is the supply chain. They're targeting the supply chain in code development. So you mentioned the IDE. That was interesting. I haven't heard. I haven't heard of it moving that far into the developer lifecycle. So that's pretty cool.
3: Yeah, their their supply chain tool I think just came out like last week or something. But the, the overall simgrep tool, they have a cloud platform that can integrate into your CI CD. You can also run it locally, which we do in in our own runners. But yeah, additionally folks can run it via command line on their own code base. And it has hooks that you can run in, in most common IDs, VS Code, IntelliJ, that kind of stuff.
0: There's a couple things that are interesting. Like one of the things is just the idea of your developer environment. You know, if you're using something like VS Code or any other thing that supports plugins and there are community contributed plugins, you do
3: kind of need to think about what you're loading, right? Yeah. The supply chain is is the hot button topic, especially right now, especially with all of the issues that have happened in the last year. Even the, the pipeline attack, that was a big one, I feel, that brought it all to the forefront. And so I think... You know, a software bill of materials is kind of like the, the technical security term of, of what you're ingesting and using. There's license management, too, that you have to think about um, that's still considered security adjacent. And those are all things that we, we need to take into account in security teams. And as, as a whole, engineering teams should probably, you know, keep tabs on. Not it doesn't always
2: have to be security a security item either. It could be left pad all over again. I don't know if you guys remember that. You remember left pad? <laughs> I do. <laughs> just having a simple like package yanked, just destroying everyone's environment and CI CD pipelines and
1: stuff. That was uh, that was fun. So Holden, why don't we briefly touch on each of the categories we have here? I'm, I've pulled it up in GitHub, and it looks like there's about eight of them. So the first one we talked a little bit about. You you touch on OASP. Number two is called
3: Secure SDLC. What does that mean? So some of the sections that we kind of get into, uh, like I mentioned before, are the OWASP top 10, but kind of like a more narrow view and kind of diving into maybe one particular risk and really scoping that out. Subjects within the Secure SDLC might have found their way in based on you know common things that We've seen internally at Podium, or just things that I've uh, that get kind of beaten into into your head over and over again from general trainings, things that were really worth over-indexing on. No secrets in code, rate limiting as a general practice, and kind of like what that even means, because I think there are a few different ways you can go about rate limiting, anyways. Whether it's the network layer with your your Cloudflare, um, your web application firewall, or in app, right, in app controls dropping connections. If one person is sending a certain amount of of messages, maybe that's okay. But if that same person is sending the same amount of password reset requests, that's not okay. So we need to be able to limit that. And you can do that in many different ways. And there are some other kind of general ideas that we kind of wanted to get into, um, such as, you know, the principle of least privilege, what that kind of means. And in the future, we could probably see, you know, a zero trust in that module as well. So maybe I missed it. What does What does the acronym SDLC even mean? The SDLC is just the software development lifecycle. Okay, cool. So the third one is
1: GraphQL security. And it sounded like you were saying that this one's a still work in progress. Is that what you were saying?
3: Yeah, we have a general idea of what is going to be included in that module. And and that's kind of how we have the outline. We needed to tweak it a little bit. We had some stuff at the time that was was a little private to us, some secret sauce that we wanted to vet out first before putting it in. And now we've recently updated an open sourced R solution. Uh, we call it Vigil, and it's a plug middleware that just disables introspection. And in the future, we could see it probably editing a little bit of the response too to protect against other types of GraphQL attacks, namely around information disclosure. And so we'll eventually, here soon, release the updated GraphQL security module and that will hopefully include a reference to Vigil. Obviously, we don't want to force the community into using something we've created. And that's kind of the, the beauty of this training is and it being open source. Is if folks want to comment on it, suggest edits, there it is. Uh, additionally, if you want to change it, and maybe you have secret sauce yourself that you want specifically mention, just make a fork to it, a private fork, and change it up as you see fit and and make an edit to it.
0: Yeah, I want to hit on that a little bit more where you talk about, customizing this for your team you know you've mentioned this idea that at podium you're using graphql and you already have some internal resources that you want to make sure the developers are using and, and making that their calls are, are going through or something like that say maybe on my team we're using a lot of live view and i want to make sure that they understand pipes scopes and how live sessions can be a problem if you don't understand how the checks need to be done I think it becomes really powerful when you talk about how you can customize this for your team and what's appropriate for your project. I'd love to hear any talk more about that.
3: The overall training came from a place of this is a product originally for Podium to use. And we very much realized that, you know, our experience and exposure to Elixir is not the entire communities. And, you know, if somebody's using REST, somebody's using GraphQL, sometimes you're using both, maybe even GRPC. And so we need to be able to create an environment for everyone to be able to learn. And so our idea with releasing this training as it stands now was, hey, this is what we're using. Let's make it better. The content that's here, let's make it better. And then additionally, let's add stuff that we're missing. I have exposure to REST security. Am I necessarily like the best person for LiveView? Probably not. I don't know. They're LiveView masters. I'd love to get, you know, the developers of LiveView they're working on this, right? Like that could be a thing. <laughs> and so... Getting the right expertise in the right areas to encourage best practices, I think is super important. then if a company comes and sees this and they say, hey, wow, like seven of these 10 modules are really, really applicable to us. The idea would be to, okay, you can fork it yourself. And if you have secret sauce, you don't want to share, you can make it private. That's fine. Just make a fork, make your changes and have it deployed internally and then tell your engineers to do the exact same thing on the instructions list, just on your version. They can make their own forks. They can do all the editing and grading and stuff and, and upload it to their personal stuff within the company account. And they're using your approved version for the company. I was wondering if you're looking for
0: contributions. Like I could see this potentially becoming a community resource where there's a lot of information. Like here's a section on GraphQL. Here's a section on REST. Here's a section on LiveView. And every, you know, one particular team is not using all of that. And it doesn't make sense for them to use all of that, but maybe it's contributed by a lot of people and When I go to say i'm creating the training for my team, i'm just picking and choosing the pieces and just excluding the ones that don't apply. Is that where you're thinking things could go or or what
3: are you looking for? I am absolutely looking for contributions. My ambitions for this project, I think, are like very large, just to put it put it mildly, and that's just because i I really take a lot of pleasure in making the community as a whole better. Because I think as we make Elixir, the Elixir community more secure, we're going to make the internet more secure because I think Elixir has a very, very bright future. And so as such, we need to keep on our on our toes. As it gets more exposure, it'll also get more attention from bad actors who maybe will start looking for more cracks, right? I think things have been kind of tried and true for a long time, and I think that's great. And I think, again, Elixir has some some of the strongest secure-by-default sort of stances with a lot of its libraries and plugins and approaches, but no system is perfect. And there's no such thing as a perfectly secure system, as as the community likes to say. And as such, we need to be on our toes and vigilant for all types of issues that could pop up. And so yeah, I, I'd love to, to see contributions from other areas. And that was the primary reason we wanted to split it into different modules, was to make it that plug and play of just, and I'd love to see even like a more automated deployment if people want to go towards a custom and like deployment internally i could see a, a, either a web ui kind of thing or even even a command line operation That's just like i want modules one through seven but not eight like that kind of thing and then it, it'll auto generate because i think there's some implications with needing to change the the auto grader which is still a bit of a work in progress anyways to be able to adjust on the fly like that I want to come back to what you just said. You mentioned the auto grader. Earlier in the conversation,
0: you talked about the experience with Jupyter Notebooks and the professor setting up this auto grading thing. That's fascinating. First of all, I just think the idea of building testing and validation into Livebook because it's, hey, it's intended to run Elixir code. You said you want to have some improvements. What is it currently doing and
3: where are you going with it? It's very rough. I'm actually not entirely positive that we've pushed the latest version of our grader. Basically how it works right now, there's an added challenge of creating interactive examples that can execute, that are informative, are easy to edit without completely breaking everything. You could write a, a module a dozen different ways. You know, if I tell you to, to count to 10, you could probably do it a lot. And so being able to view that code and assess it can be done a number of different ways as well. And so we try and take out some of the guesswork of like, how do you want me to complete this module and make it crystal clear? Now, that makes creating challenges pretty tough because you don't want to just make it so easy that it's just, you're done, you don't have to think about it. We want those mental bridges to be built. As it currently works, we kind of prompt folks to do things based around outputs. You know, we tell you, hey, we're expecting this certain output. Um, Sometimes... There is an example that is just an example. It's not considered a quiz question. So you're not going to be graded on it. We just, it's here if you want to check it out kind of thing. And it's like, uncomment this line. Other times with the quiz, it's like, hey, we want this output. Build this module so you get this output. And if you don't know where to start, you just read the section that basically tells you the recommended path forward. And so our grader essentially runs in the pipeline. It it detects on a, a merge to main that it'll run. It'll run the live book in the the pipeline and save the output, essentially. And then it just rips out the output. Not elegant by any means and compares it against an answer key. It's like, I'm expecting these outputs. If you get these outputs, then you've passed, essentially, or you're failing at certain spots. And so that's kind of our our naive approach. And I could see it getting a lot more complicated, you know, building more intelligent uh, methods within the live book itself. One of the concerns we had before was whether or not people would try and cheat, right? If you have the answer key in the repo, could somebody just like go in and copy it? And so we want to try and like figure out how best to deploy that while also making it, I don't, I don't think there's a reason to dive too deeply into preventing people from trying to cheat because honestly, if you create enough hurdles, if they get through all of them, I don't know if the training's meant for them, you know, that kind of thing. They've captured the flag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so that was honestly one of the things when, when I was first kind of starting to work on this idea was like, hey, this is like probably where any company that wants to make this private and like sell this as a business would, right? They'd, they'd create this and then maybe create like a, a some SaaS platform where they can have like the, the greater functionality and it's like an API and you give out tokens and stuff like that. But honestly, I, I think that kind of defeats the purpose of like making this uh, for everyone and making it the best that it possibly can be. Cause then it's like, who's to say that I should be the arbiter of like, what is Elixir security? Right. So that was our big thing is, is with the grader is making it work on whatever you want to teach. And that's the biggest hurdle we have to get through is cause currently, yeah, if you rip out a module, the grader's going to break. And so that's where we have some room for improvement with making the deployment automated and, and tailored. And how do we make that fluid, right? If somebody's making a, a module or customizing a module for themselves and their business, then they shouldn't have to worry about customizing and editing a bunch of like Elixir code for the grader to make it work for them. So we're looking into solutions that help standardize that and maybe templatize the answer keys and such like that. So I think those things need to be worked out before we can consider it you know, truly done and sort of the 1.0 status. We are currently, I think, version 0.8 kind of beta status. I would love to see the Elixir secure coding training be used as a community resource. Obviously, if it doesn't take off naturally, I'm not going to force it. That's not something I want. Communities in general tend to sign on or push away things that are forced. And so I want this to be a thing that's hopefully useful. You know, the feedback I've gotten thus far from yourselves and and from other people I've talked to is that this seems like the right way to go about things. And I'm really, that's, to me, that's very promising. And I'd like to just keep going. I see this potentially as a way to collaborate more with the language itself and just steer people here. Because I think, honestly, like, knowing that this is a resource is going to be the biggest hurdle to, and so I could see this being included as maybe one of the defaults. LiveBooks as part of installing LiveBook, right? They have a couple examples that are already pre-baked in there. It's like, why not? Why not at least the first module here? And if you're interested to keep going, you can keep going. Of course, that'll probably also break the auto grader. So how do we fix that? We'll see. (laughs) But, you know, even like a lot of the Elixir-specific security topics is just sort of reframed topics already brought up by the Erlang Ecosystems Foundation and their security working group, right? So maybe we can collaborate with them and turn their site into a, a live book site or adopt this or vice versa or, or what have you. I'd also love to see if we get OWASP project recognition. That's a, a process I'm not entirely familiar with, but I know that they have a lot of designations for open source projects for language specific things. So I know the precedent is there. So maybe we get that stamp of approval. I don't know. I think there's a lot of steps we need to go first. So I don't want to get too ahead of myself. And as we kind of mentioned, yeah, the GraphQL module is not even done. So like there's a lot of work to be done and I've tried to make it as open as possible. I, I've been working on this a lot of my free time. You mentioned at the top of the the conversation that Podium is, is kind of sponsoring this in a way. Since we do use it as a internal product as sorts, we have a security team. Our product security team is actively working on this. And so we want to continue to make this better for our, ourselves because i think if we make a better product for ourselves it'll make it good for everyone kind of the dog food mentality but we'd also love to see contributions from the community as well to cover sections that you know we aren't thinking about such as rest or live views even extending into other aspects of elixir such as nerves i think would be really great to see yeah that's cool so if people do want to get involved where do they go to do that the issues tab on GitHub, I've tried to make as robust as possible. There's already a plethora of easy tickets. And I, I I tried to go through and label stuff that's ripe for quick tweaks and fixes. And that'll continue to grow. So I think that's the best place to keep tabs on stuff. You don't have to be a security expert in order to contribute to this. I think there are a lot of sections that you just require Elixir knowledge that are, are ripe for contribution.
0: Well, Holden, this has been really cool. I am still very excited about what it is that you as an individual are working on and that your team is building and that you're getting support from the company to actually help make this be something that you're using internally and that you're using outside and and supporting outside the company. One of the things I just think is awesome is the ability to teach people about these things like atom exhaustion. And it's where you can actually play with the code and see what happens. And oh, this is the function that's doing this. And oh, that's what it's doing. And I understand why this is a problem. And you know, even having the ability to, if you wanted to even go so far as to like do some atom exhaustion in the live book, then graph the memory that has grown for the process that's running it, and see how this is growing and it's not shrinking. And because you can graph that stuff in live book, I mean, like, it's so cool. There's a lot of options there for fun. But I think it's a great resource to be able to interactively play with. So I'm really excited to see what you guys do with this. And hopefully the community can help pick this up and it can be a a resource. I love the idea of it being something that's available as a default live book. You know, one of the notebooks that's available with live book. Love that idea. Well, if
3: people want to follow you and get in touch with you, how do they do that? Uh, I have a Twitter. It's it's. Pretty new, but I just kind of talk about security things and coffee, like most I think programmers do. <laughs> so, just Holden Olet. I'm also on GitHub, H uh, Olet. I'm sure you'll see me in the repo. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn too if you want to chat there.
0: Awesome. We'll have links to all that in the show notes. Well, thank you, Holden. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir. <laughs>